0: You're listening to the Church on the Move Roswell podcast. We hope this message inspires you, encourages you, and challenges you to take your next step with Jesus. Thanks for listening. Let's check it out. Talking about revelation, and I'm, I'm going to get deeper and deeper into uh, the uh, what we titled this, the American revelation. How God is speaking to America right now through the Book of Revelations. Even though the Book of Revelations, and we're going to find out the two keys, the two key subjects, and the two key figures in Revelations. And I got, I give you a hint. One of them is not the Antichrist. He's not the key. There's two keys and two principles in the book, and we'll find those out when we get to Revelations chapter 1. It'll be pretty obvious what the book is really about as we go deeper and deeper into it. But I want to remind you of a couple things that, number one, um, I never want you to be afraid. 2 Timothy 1.7 says, I did not give you a spirit of fear. There is a spirit of fear. I remember, uh, it's the last time I ever watched a scary movie. I think I was about 19, 20 years old. I went to see Friday the 13th, number one. I think there's like, I don't think he's died in like 45 years. He hasn't died, you know, because I don't know how many there's out now. But I went and saw the first one, and man, after that, for about six months, man, I'd I'd always look in the backseat of my car before I got in. Anybody else do that besides me? I'm like, I'd be getting in, I'm like, nah, I'm gonna check the back seat, make sure no one's back there. I'm not gonna be stabbed from behind, you know? And so, uh, so anyway, and then after a while, I'm like, man, I'm not gonna walk around in fear. I've never walked in fear, but there was a spirit of fear on that movie, and that's that spooky fear, that's that unhealthy fear that drives you to do things you shouldn't do and, and creates uh, uh, atmospheres around you where you're living in the flesh and you're not being led by the spirit. That's that crazy fear that That only comes from Satan. The spirit of fear is a little s. So it's a demon of fear. But we don't need to approach anything that's happening now or in the future with a spirit of fear. He said, I didn't give you a spirit of fear, but I gave you a spirit of power. Power in what? Well, we just sang about it. The name of Jesus. He gave us power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? He said, I gave you power. I gave you a spirit of power. Love. And love, the Bible says in 1 John, perfect love drives out all fear. When you understand how much God loves you, you'll start removing anxiety, worry, fear, dread. It'll just start leaving your life. It'll just start leaving your life. Even when you're in trouble, even when it doesn't look good, that will start leaving your life because you're not operating by a spirit of fear but of power and love. And the Bible says... Perfect love drives out all fear. When you understand how much God loves you, you know, I've talked about this so many times, that the only way to really have faith in God is you have to get a revelation, not of faith of a mustard seed, but of the one who created the mustard seed. How much God loves you. When when you know how much someone loves you, then you have a confidence a faith in them that they'll come through for you. There's people in my life that I know love me and I have a confidence and faith that they'll come through for me. I can count on them when I'm in in trouble, when there's battles, when there's good times, bad times, I can trust them because I know they love me. They've proven it. And God has proven that he loved us by dying for us. He's already proven he loves you. And when you grow in love, it'll drive out all these fears. All these people have phobias and fears and issues and worrying. People are having anxiety attacks and different things. And they have that because they aren't focused on the one who loves them. You get focused on the problem instead of the one who loves you. There's going to be issues as we walk through the book of Revelations. We know there's stuff. But not just then, there's stuff now. There was stuff in 1800. There was stuff in the 1700s. There was stuff in the 1500s. There was stuff 2,000 years ago, and there was stuff 3,000 years before that. There's always Satan and stuff happening. But God doesn't want us to be fearful. He wants wants us to focus on the power of the Holy Spirit inside of us, the power of his love to drive out fear, and the power of wisdom, to know how to navigate waters, sound mind, sound thinking, And so that's what he wants us to focus on, even though we're going to talk about some really interesting things. Some things that are coming. And so I've done some studying. I, I talked to a, a pastor, a friend of mine in Tulsa, and he did a series. And But I, I read all the books where he got that series. He told me his book list. And so I've been reading those books and listening. And so, man, and I'm seeing James Kahn or Jonathan Kahn and all these guys that are writing about what's coming, what's happening. I've read, I'm reading through their books and have read many of their books and listened. And, man, guys, there's a principle here that they're all talking about that we need to get a hold of that we started two Sundays ago, and I just want to reiterate before we move forward. So can you put up there Ecclesiastes One, nine? thank you. That which has been is what will be, that which is done is what will be done, and there is nothing new under the sun. We know that God is saying, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, that what happened in Genesis is, is a foreshadowing, a type, a thing that's coming in Revelations, and that these two books are connected. Go to Ecclesiastes 7, 8, and then we're going to move on to a new scripture that confirms it. It says the end of a thing is better than its beginning. We know that how God began in paradise, he began in paradise, but Satan was in paradise. Satan was in paradise, but we're going to end in heaven. Guess what? Satan's not in heaven. So how God begins, he always ends better. What did we learn a couple Sundays ago? God always has a? Every time Satan thinks he's winning, he's losing. Every time he thinks he's winning. And that God will allow evil to rise. He doesn't make evil rise. People do that on their own with, in cooperation with Satan. But he'll, he'll allow it because we always know that he'll allow uh, evil to rise up because he gave people free will. But he, he allows it to rise up for the setup. He's always Satan, setting Satan up to lose. So we're not going to go to this scripture right now. We're going to go to another one here in just a moment. But I want to remind you of Corinthians. That where he said, if Satan would have known what was going to happen when he he cried for Jesus to be crucified, he'd have never killed Jesus. He allowed evil to rise up for the setup, Because God always has a plan for good. And so he allowed that evil to rise up. They called, crucify him, crucify him. And they did exactly what God wanted them to do. And God set them up to save I'll give mankind, every man, every woman that ever existed, an opportunity to receive Jesus as Lord. Rose up for the setup. Because God always has a plan. So we know He has a plan. And He said, the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. You know, God, that that verse is, is is good for us to hear because God said, Don't think I'm lazy. I'm not lazy when it comes to coming back and fulfilling all these prophecies. He said, I'm, I'm patient because I love people. How many of you are grateful God was patient and he didn't come back before you were saved? I'm so grateful he didn't come back when I was 15. I'd have gone to hell. So we need to be grateful that God is patient because, man, a bunch of us would not have made it into heaven. And I'm glad he's patient even now because there's 7 billion people plus on the earth. And man, his heart was, he said, I'm patient because I want everyone to know. I want to save everybody. Everybody that can be saved, he wants to save. And so we need to appreciate his patience. Then there's a new scripture, Isaiah 46, 10 and 11. We'll look at 10 first. Says declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things that are not yet done. So he's going to take ancient things and then he's going to, he's declaring in ancient times what is to come. So he declared in Genesis uh, a bunch of the things that are to come. It's a type, it's a shadow, it's a picture of what was coming in the end. So Genesis is a reflection of revelations. To understand revelations, you have to understand Genesis. In the prophecies of the Old Testament, he says this saying, Uh, my my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. He's saying this, that what I have spoken, no matter what mankind does or doesn't do, what I said is gonna happen. We also know the scripture that he watches over his word to perform it. He will make sure it does exactly what he said it would do. So he's saying no matter what man does, the evil they do, no matter how much Satan and mankind cooperate to resist him, they will not prevail. Verse 11, he says this, calling a bird of prey from the east, a man who executes my counsel from a far country, indeed I have spoken it, I will also bring it to pass, I have purposed it. He said, I'll use the animal kingdom, I'll use mankind, I'll call from here, if I have to call somebody from two to come to preach to Santa Fe, I'll do it. He said, I, I, Man, what I call and what I declare is going to come to pass, and I'll find somebody who will do it. I'll find somebody that'll show up. I'm, I'm a somebody that showed up in Roswell, America. Seriously, he called me to Tulsa to marry Julie. Seriously, he called me to Tulsa. It always blows my mind when people get desperate for relationships. If you'll just listen to God, he'll put you in the right place, the right time, doing the right thing, and he'll introduce you to the right people. If we just will listen. He has a plan. He had a plan for me to move to Tulsa, Oklahoma, and he fulfilled that plan. And So, guys, that's just kind of what we've been talking about, and I want to set that back up. I also want to remind you of Luke 17 uh, and the two different Gospels that God says it's going to be like the days of Noah... It's going to be like the days of Noah. But good things happen when, when he's saying they're going to be married and given in marriage. Is going to be, there's going to be an economy. People are going to be living. He said it's going to be an ordinary day. It was an ordinary, regular day in the days of Noah when the flood came. That's what he says there. It's going to be an ordinary day when Jesus takes the church out of this world, off this planet. Just an ordinary day. It's going to be an ordinary day. People are going to be married, giving in marriage. People are going to be doing business. So what he's saying to us, too, is that, hey, there's, there's not going to be this major economic total collapse. We're, we're living in the days of the walking dead, and zombies are going to rise up. And as much as I like those zombie movies, anybody like zombie movies? There's a few of you. You're all like, man, Pastor, are you real Christian? Yeah, I am. I just like zombie movies. But... Uh, I like zombie movies. I like, them. I like to watch them. There's not going to be a day like that. There's not going to be a 2012 where the flood's the earth again. None of that stuff's going to happen, guys. It's going to be an ordinary day when God calls the church out. Listen, his, his rapture, the word rapture is not in the Bible, but it just means taking away. He's going to take the church away. In his second coming, two totally separate events. Two totally separate events. He's going to take us out of here, and he's going to pour wrath out for seven years. Seven years of wrath. And I can show you the parallel to how he spoke to Joseph and said there would be seven years of this and seven years of that. There's going to be seven years of testing, and God's going to test Israel. Israel. They're gonna go through the tribulation and he's gonna believe. He believes they're gonna cry out for the Messiah and then they're gonna cry out for Jesus and recognize that they have denied Jesus, but they're gonna accept Jesus. And maybe even some that are left behind, my crowd that haven't taken the mark of the beast, they might cry out too, but they're gonna suffer the wrath of God. But God said, We aren't children of wrath. Someone say, Amen. We're not children of wrath. A lot of people are like, I want to stay. I want to stick around. No, you don't. You won't make it. Most people aren't going to make it, guys. You won't make it. You won't like it. You'll be tortured. If you stick with Jesus, man, you'll be tortured, brutally killed. They'll do what they did to the Jews in Rome. They'll feed you to the lions unless you deny Jesus. They'll dip you in boiling water unless you deny Jesus. They'll torture you till you deny Jesus. You don't want to stick around. You want to go. You want to leave the planet when Jesus calls for his church, for his people. And so uh, having said all that, uh, I want you to understand there's going to be an economy. There's going to be stuff happening. People are going to be living a normal life before Jesus raptures the church out. And then when we're gone, because we're not children of wrath, then he'll pour out his wrath for seven years. It'll put Israel to the test. It'll put this world to the test. And thank the Lord, we'll skip it. We'll be in heaven. And then when he comes back after his second coming, we'll get to that in Revelations, we'll come back with him. I said, we'll come back with him. And uh, that's going to be the end of the Antichrist and all the garbage that he, that'll be the end of of Satan's reign and rule and his, his, uh, his reigning and ruling over people. That'll be over. He doesn't reign and rule over us right now, but it'll be over them too. So, I want you to go with me to Revelations chapter 1. I promised you we'd get there. We're going to get there right now. Revelations chapter 1 is so powerful, and it gives us the, I mean, it's crazy. We did a deal. We did a survey. What is Revelations about? And one and a half people got it right. One person got it eh, real close. The other person got it dead on. And it's so crazy because the very first verse of Revelations tells us exactly what the book of Revelations is about. And it's not about the Antichrist. It's not, it, it talks about the Antichrist, and it talks about the, the wrath, and it talks about all the things that are coming, all the things that are going to happen. But it's, that's not what the book, the whole thing is about, one thing, and that's this. Verse 1, Revelation 1, this is the unveiling of Jesus Christ. That's what the book of Revelations is about. The first two chapters talk about two key things. I said, I'll tell you two key things. Here's the two key, key, key things. Revelations 1 says it's about the revealing of Jesus Christ. Revelations 2 talks about the seven churches. It's about Jesus and his bride. That's what Revelations is really about. Chapter 1, chapter 2, Jesus, the seven churches. The number seven is the number of completion. So in these seven churches, we see completely all the churches. All the churches. What I think is interesting, when I was talking to Josh, Josh has been to Turkey. He's been to every one of the sites in Revelations 2. All the churches, not one of those churches exist anymore because they didn't heed the word of the Lord. And that's why we're seeing churches not existing today, because they will not heed the word of the Lord. Mm. so it's going to get a little more serious this is about the unveiling of Jesus Christ it says this is the unveiling of Jesus Christ which God gave him to share with his loving servants What what must occur swiftly He signified it by sending his angel to his loving servant John. I, John, bore witness to the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. A joyous blessing rests upon the one who reads this message and upon those who hear and embrace the words of this prophecy for the appointed time is in your hands. God's saying there is not one book of the Bible, not Genesis, not Jeremiah, not Isaiah, not not Ezekiel, not Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Galatians, Corinthians, none of them start with, there is a blessing on those who read and embrace this book. Not one of them talk about that. Now, I want to ask you a question. If, the, if God only speaks of one book that He specific, we know there's a blessing on all of it, right? I mean, there's a blessing. But he specifically says there's a blessing on hearing and embracing this book. You would think we'd want to know everything in it. It's the only one that says it. And he says it's in our hands. It's in our hands. You know why it's in our hands? Because God prophesied in the Old Testament exactly what's going to happen in Revelations. He, he, this was a type and shadow, a picture of what is coming. And that's, see, the key, the key to deciphering Revelations is to know Genesis in, in some of the prophecies of the Old Testament. That's the key. And God said it's in your hands. The keys are in your hands to understand and embrace and hear this message. And he said there's a blessing on you because of it. So I want to encourage you. Open your hearts and minds and embrace this message. Embrace this message. Hear it and embrace it because God said there's a special blessing on those that do. I didn't say it. God said it. He said this. From John to the seven churches in western Western Turkey, that's where all the seven churches are. That's where they do not exist anymore. Um, Again, he tells it's a revelation of Jesus, who Jesus Christ is. And then he says it's also to the seven churches. So it's to the groom and his bride. This is a message for us. He said this, May the kindness of God's grace and peace overflow to you from whom from him who is and who was and who is coming. He's going to say that over and over and over again because, like I said during communion, God lives in three realms all at the same time. He lives in the past, the present, and the future. He is omnipotent. He he lives in all three realms at the same time. That's why it always blows my mind when people want to violate the word of God and think it's going to turn out okay. How in the world can you violate someone who knows the past, the present, and the future? Why would you disobey his word? That makes no sense. I guarantee you, if I could predict, if I could tell you your past, your present, and tell you your future accurately, you would be running to me. And it would be foolish if I could prove that I could do that to not listen. We have one that does. But people don't listen. To the wisdom of God. He speaks it. It says wisdom is crying out. She's crying out in the street. Why is wisdom a she? Because women were given as a helper, a helpmate, a counselor, a comforter to, to mankind. And he, he says wisdom is a she because wisdom was given to us by God as a helper, a comforter, a guide, a counselor, a director. So we're to embrace that God's wisdom. He knows what's coming. He knows what is and what was. He lives in all three realms at one time, yet so many people do not fear him. And Satan tricks people with palm readers and medians and stuff because Satan knows this. He takes truth with lies. That's how Satan operates. That's what he did when he tempted Jesus. He quoted a truth and then mixed it with a lie. That's what he does. So how does he, how does he do that with mediums and palm readers and kudenderas and all these witches? This is how he does it. Satan only knows one thing, and that's the past. So he tells you a truth about your past because he sees your past. Then he lies to you. Here's the lie. He'll lie to you about your future because he does not know the future. He cannot know the future. You're gonna find out why here in just a moment what John says. This is why Satan doesn't know the future. This is why he, he hollered. He had people scream, crucify him, crucify him. Or when they, the Pontius Pilate said, you want Barabbas, this murderer, or this innocent guy? And they said, give us Barabbas. Crucify Jesus. Why all that took place? It's because Satan can't see it. And people in the world who don't know God who have not surrendered their life, they can't see it either because it can only be seen in one realm. And that's the Holy Spirit realm. And only those who have the Holy Spirit can see and can understand what God is speaking. Mm. He says... Who is and who was and is coming and from the seven spirits who are in front of his throne, of his throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness. The seven spirits in front of his th- throne is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit manifests himself in seven distinct ways. We'll talk about those another time, but that's exactly it. The number seven is the number of completion. So it's seven. The, the Holy Spirit manifests, manifests himself in seven ways. He's the truth teller. He's wisdom. I mean, he manifests himself in seven distinct ways, and that's why it says there's seven spirits. The Holy Spirit has seven ways in which he ministers. It says this, "...who are in front of his throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from among the dead, and the ruling king, who rules over the kings of the earth." No matter what the, the, the reference to the kings of the earth are those who are in authority and power. And no matter how much authority and power they think they have, no matter how much the one percenters or the, uh, the uh, Illuminati or, or the, the people who are gathering in economic summits and trying to control the world the and, and cooperate with the Antichrist, no matter what they do, there is a king above them. He's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. And he, whether they realize it or not, he rules above them. That's why we need to be aware of what they're doing, but we don't need to be fearful of anything they're doing. We shouldn't have any fear because we serve the king that rules. He rules above all the kings of the earth. There's not an authority on earth he's not above. It says now, now to the one who constantly loves us. I love that. The one who constantly loves us. And has loosed us from our sins by his own blood. You know, the blood covenant is such a unique thing. You know, the Bible says angels... Uh, man, they wish to understand and study what's going on between us and God because angels don't have any blood in their body. Neither did Satan or any of the demons. They have no blood. They don't understand blood covenant. They, can't, they don't understand what's going on between us and God. You say, well, God doesn't have any blood. Oh, yes, he does. He came in the form of Jesus. He created a blood covenant with his very own Blood. You can't have a blood covenant with a blood people unless you you have blood. Jesus had to have blood in order to save us and form a blood covenant between us and God. So God had to come in a human body with some blood because we have blood. And so we had to have a blood covenant with him because we have blood. He had to have a blood covenant with us. He he, He took on a human body to have blood. The angels can't have a blood covenant. Satan and all the demons, they can't have a blood covenant. There's no blood in them. That's how special God is to us and God. That's how he treats us. We're so special. We're the only one entity that God has made a blood covenant with. A blood covenant speaks volumes. All the old tribes of the earth understood blood covenant because back in the, in the days where God was not worshiped by these nations, it was doggy it was dog, man. The strong eating the, eating the, the weak, Right. Whoever was stronger, had the biggest army, destroyed the ones and took their stuff. Well, eventually it got to the point where these warrior nations didn't want to die, but they couldn't grow food, and the ones that grew food didn't want to die, so they needed some warrior nations, so they would make a blood covenant. They would split animals in half and, and spread them out on a path, and their blood and carcasses would lay there, and they, the two leaders would walk. Sometimes the whole tribes would walk through that blood. And it obligated the warrior tribe to defend the the agricultural tribe and uh, obligated the agricultural tribe to feed the warrior tribe. And that obligation was in blood. That was for generations. And, man, you violate that, boy, you're talking about the judgment of God coming on you. So God, because we have blood, he gave us blood, he took on blood, and he made a blood covenant with us. Except this time, we didn't have anything to offer. He offered all the blood, and we walked right through it. We have a blood covenant with God. So those who have a blood covenant with God have an obligation. And I talk about this. I don't mean to be gross or sexual in any way, but God created woman with a hymen that when they were were given to their husband on their wedding night, that, that, that skin would be broken and blood would be shed, and there would be a blood covenant between husband and wife. There's only two blood covenants, that between us and God and a man and a woman. That's how it's intended to be. Say, well, I've already violated that. I'm I'm not a virgin. Well, you know what? God can still honor it. If you'll get it right in your heart, let him purify your heart, he'll purify your marriage and give you a blood covenant. He can supersede the mistakes we've made. God is so powerful. And blood covenants are not to be broken. That's why Satan, that's why he pushes sex outside of marriage so hard, because he understands the blood covenant. That's why he pushes fornication, because he understands the blood covenant. That's why he pushes adultery, homosexuality, because he understands the blood covenant. Blood covenant can only be made between a man and a woman. Not a pretend man or pretend woman, but a real man and a real woman. Only can be made. That's why God established marriage and marriage only between a man and a woman, a real man, a real woman. He established because they're the only ones that could ever be in blood covenant. Someone say amen. Amen. That's why Satan attacks it so hard. That's why he's attacking in the culture of our young people. And not just our young people, even people my age have, have, have given in to this culture of ungodliness because Satan does not want blood covenants. He understands the power of them, the obligation. God obligated himself to love us and save us and die for us. He obligated himself to to take care of us. Someone say amen. Amen, he's obligated. He obligated himself. We didn't make him. He did it. That's why you should have faith in God and not in yourself because he loves you more and has a greater obligation to take care of you than you do because we have a blood covenant. He says this now to the one who constantly loves us and has loosened us from our sins by his own blood and to the one who has appointed us as a kingdom of priests. You know what priests did? You know what priests do? They serve. He says it, appointed us as a kingdom of priests to serve his God and Father. Listen, if you call yourself a Christian, then you should have some fruit. God had to, God felt like he had an obligation To prove his love to us. Do we not have an obligation to prove our love to him? It's one thing for me to say I love Julie. It's another thing to say that's just lip service. It's another thing for me to prove it. Prove it by how? Being loyal, being faithful, serving, leading, providing. That's how I prove that I love her. Caring about what she cares about. Caring about her feelings. Caring about this. Caring about that. That's how I prove that I love Julie doesn't think I love her because I said it 32 years ago. No, I, I've proven that I love her. She's proven that she loves me. There's proof in it. There's what God calls fruit. So if you're really a servant of the Most High God, there should be some fruit. God don't want lip service. He wants fruit. He said, don't just say, God bless you. Do something about it. He said, don't just say, oh, man, I see you don't have a coat and you're freezing to death, but, man, I want not pray for you. He said, yeah, that's okay, but you're better off going to get a coat and giving them a coat so they don't freeze to death. He said, there should be some fruit, some proof, some proof of love in us. He said, that's how we know each other. You know, when I met Julie, I told one of my sons this the other day. I've told several of my sons. I said, when I met her the first date, I'm like, okay, you love Jesus? Oh, yeah, I love Jesus. Okay, so I'm going to get some proof now. I want some proof. I asked her three questions. Do you go to church? She said, yes. I said, what's the name of your church? She told me the name. What's your pastor's name? She told me the name of the pastor. I've talked to so many people that say, oh, yeah, man, I go to church, and I love Jesus. What church you go to? Um, you know, it's that one It's that one, you know, kind of in the corner. It's over there on the east side, you know. And I'll say, what's your pastor's name? Oh, you know, he, he's that guy. You know, he kind of has this, and, you know, he's squinty-eyed, bow-legged. I don't know his name. Just so you know, my name is Troy Smotherman, so you can answer that question. So if someone asks you, you say, I go to church on the move. You don't even have to remember the whole name. Just say C-O-T-M. I mean, we we might try to make it easy for you. But she knew the name of the church, the name of her pastor. Then I asked her another question. I said, do you tithe? Because the Bible says where your heart is is where your money is. I wanted to know if her heart was really with God in the body of Christ. She said, yes, I tithe. Then I asked her the next question, the priest question. Do you serve? She goes, I serve in the nurseries. Check, check, check. I checked the first box was, was she good-looking? Check. That's the first box. Then I started checking the other boxes. I had to get spiritual. Got physical first. then get, No, not in a bad way, but just, <laughs> just physically looked at her. Said, okay, that'll, that'll work right there. Let me find out what else there is to her. And, guys, if she'd have said no to any of those, that would have been the last date we went on. There's got to be some proof, some fruit that you actually love God. So ask yourself, are you you really in the kingdom? Because if you are, then you're a kingdom priest. You're a servant to God. You don't just serve Him at church, you serve Him at home, you serve Him at work, you serve Him when no one's looking, you serve Him in your secret life, you serve Him all the time. And and God doesn't expect you to be perfect, but He does expect us to be consistent. We can be consistent and not still be perfect. And when we're not perfect, he expects us to consistently run to him, not away from him. And face the sin, face the stuff, instead of running away from the stuff. And actually ask him to help us deal with it and overcome it. I always pray this. Jesus, uh, sin, sickness, and death cannot lord over me and my family in this house. Church on the move. Why? Because Jesus Christ is the Lord. He's the Lord over sin. He's the Lord over sickness. He's the Lord over death. Did this to me first service too. He said, "Appointed us as a kingdom of priests to serve as God and Father. To Him be glory and dominion throughout eternity of eternities." You know, it's that. You know, I love you. I love you forever. You know, I love you for eternity. God just ends it. He, he's the, he's the King. He's the Lord of eternity of eternities. He wins. He said, "Behold, He appears within the clouds, and every eye will see Him, even those who pierced Him." The clouds, you know, when Jesus ascended, when he ascended to heaven, when the apostles and the 500 people saw him ascend to heaven, there was one cloud. He's coming back with clouds. Now, cloud, the cloud represents two things, the glory of God, which is the mercy and goodness of God, but it also represents people. This, 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 what he's prophesying right here—is the second coming, not the rapture. This is the second coming, and he's coming in clouds. He's going to be surrounded by his glory, his mercy, and goodness. But he's also coming with us. We're coming back the second time. Clouds. He saw him in the clouds of people. This is getting better. He said, every eye shall see Him, and even those who pierced Him. And all the people of the earth will weep with sorrow because of Him. And so it is to be. Amen. This is coming. The second coming of Christ will happen regardless of what mankind does. And you'll either be with Him or against Him. There'll be no gray area. There'll be no in-between. There'll be no lukewarm in or out. Hot or cold. He says this. This, I end with this. He said, I am the Alpha and the Tab, the Omega, the beginning and the end. The Alpha and Tab, the Alpha and Omega are the, the first letter and last letter of the Jewish alphabet. So he's saying, I'm the first letter and the last letter and all the letters in between. You know what we do with letters? We make words. He's saying right here, I am the complete Word of God. He's not just saying he's the beginning and the end. He said, I am the complete Word of God we're describing Jesus now. We know him. We know him as a baby in a manger. We look at that every Christmas. We know him, and we don't talk about it a lot, as a 12-year-old boy in the temple. We know him as a man that walked around and did miracles. But what we don't know is Isaiah says he had no beauty about him. He wasn't six foot two among a people of five four. He wasn't blonde-haired, blue-eyed among the dark-haired, brown-eyed people. He wasn't black, like some people say. He wasn't white. He was a normal Jewish-looking person, man. The Bible said there was nothing about him that was beautiful. He wasn't wasn't unattractive. He wasn't super attractive. He was just a normal-looking man. That's why they had so much trouble believing in him. But then he didn't do normal stuff. He didn't do normal things. He spoke to storms, he spoke to sickness and disease, he spoke to sin, he did some unbelievable stuff, even as a normal looking human being. And that's why they didn't recognize him. Because you can only connect with Jesus through the spirit, through the by the heart. So he's the beginning and the end. It says, "Says the Lord who is, who was, and is to come, the Almighty." He constantly reminding us, "I know the past, the present, and the future." Please listen. Why won't you listen? He's saying this to the American church. He's saying this to our church right here in Roswell, America. He's saying it to the church. Why won't you listen? I know the past, the present, and the future. I live in all three realms. Listen to me. Have I not proven what I said before will come to pass? He's proven it. I said he's proven it. This is the last part we're going to read. I, John, am your brother and companion in tribulation. John said, I'm just like you guys. The kingdom and the patience that are found in Jesus. I was exiled on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. Here we begin. Here again is Satan's attempt to shut John up. All the other apostles were killed. John was the only one that lived a full life. So he's trying to shut John up. They dipped him in a vat of boiling water. Can you imagine being tied to a pole in a big old vat of boiling, uh, not water, oil, boiling oil? And they dipped him down in it. And when he came up, he wasn't burnt. Not a thing was wrong with him. So they're like, we can't kill this guy. we got to shut him up. We're going to send him to this island. Again, evil rises up for the setup. So they thought they were going to shut him up. What happened was God allowed them to do that to separate him so he could get revelations and tell us about things coming. Satan always thinks he's winning and he's always losing. If you're on his side in here, let me tell you something. You'll think you're winning because sin is good for a season, but you're always losing. But if you're on God's side in here, oh, even when sin and the devil and evil and trouble looks like it's winning, oh, it's not because God has the final word, and his final word is victory. I'll give you victory. Just stick with me, and I'll make you a winner. Last verse, I was in the spirit realm, on the Lord's day and I heard, I heard behind me a loud voice sounding like a trumpet saying to me, listen, we're going to pick it up from there. I'm going to talk to you why he spoke from him, spoke to him from behind. Well, I'll just tell you. He was, he is, he is to come. He's tell he's speaking to John from behind. This is Jesus from behind because he's saying, I'm the one you spent time with. I'm the one that was with you. And I'm with you now because you can hear my voice. I was, I am. And then He turns John around, and He says, He said, I was, I is, and I am to come. And John turns, and He sees the one that's coming. I'm the past, the present, the future, all at once. Everything that happens in the book of Revelation is symbolic of something even him speaking to him from behind. But I want to point this one thing out to you. I said I'd explain it. He was in the spirit realm. God is a spirit and he speaks to our spirit. If you don't have the Holy Spirit, you're not hearing him. Because the Holy Spirit makes our spirit alive and only when you're alive can you hear. When you're dead, dead bodies don't hear. When Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth, he wasn't speaking to his body. He was speaking to Lazarus' spirit in heaven. He called it out back into his body. Because spirit speaks to spirit. If you don't have the Holy Spirit and you're not pressing into the things of God, you can't hear it. You won't hear the trumpet when he, when he blasts the trumpet and calls the church out and he says one word. You know, we're here, we will hear a trumpet. The shofar will be played. A trumpet always announces something new is coming, and he'll say one word. He'll say, come. That's it. And we'll, those, those who have submitted their lives to the Lord Jesus Christ, surrendered their life, will hear the trumpet and that word. Come. And our bodies will just take off. Bodies will come out of the graves and meet their spirits in the air. They will have, it. I mean, it'll just be It says in a twinkling eye, like that, will be gone. But you, can, you won't hear it unless you have the Holy Spirit. You can't have the Holy Spirit unless Jesus Christ is the Lord of your life and you've surrendered to Him. To the world, this is fearful. To those who love Jesus, it's joyful. It's like, we're going to enjoy life until you come back for us. We're going to enjoy. We're going to live. And I'm not saying this is happening tomorrow. I'm, I don't know when it's going to happen. It could be 50 years or now, 100 years from now. I'm, we all, a bunch of us might already be in heaven. I don't know. But it could happen tonight. Normal day. Evil rising. We live in that day right now. Are you surrendered to Jesus. You don't have to be perfect, because none of us are going to meet that standard. That's why Jesus came, because He was perfect. He met the standard for us. But man, your heart has to be pursuing God. Listen, every eye closed, here and online. I'm glad you joined us online. Here and online, I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're with us, whether you're watching live right now or later in the week. This is for you. This is for everyone in the room. If you're not right with God, this is the moment and this is the time. He's calling you. He's saying to you, come, come to me. I want to save you. There's a story, I want you to just listen, eyes closed, please just listen, please listen, of a man who rescued a boy that had run away from home, 11, 12 years old, he'd run away and he was trying to cross a major highway, trying to get away, and a big truck was about to kill him. And this man had pulled over on the side of the road and ran out and grabbed this little boy and saved him. And he took that little boy home. That little boy still grew up rebellious. He didn't value what that man had done for him. He got in all kinds of trouble, got arrested and went to court for the first time. And he thought, man, I'm gonna get a bad sentence. But then he looked up and he saw the guy who had rescued him was the judge. And he, he said, Judge, can I say something? He said, Sure. He said, Don't you remember me? I'm the guy, that, I'm the kid that you rescued. And he thought, Man, this guy will surely give me a lesser sentence. And the man looked at him and said, I recognized you before you walked in, as soon as you walked in the room. I knew you were that little boy. I saved you then. But now you've put yourself in a position that I will be your judge now. God is your Savior right now. But if you die before you receive Him, He will only be your judge. He'll only be your judge. You have a choice to make right now. Pick a side. God's kingdom or Satan's kingdom. You get to choose which side you're on. And I want to encourage you, everyone in this room should be praying right now. And those of we've we've spent time and hours and years praying for you. This day would come to you. We don't know you by name, but God knew you by name. That He knew we were praying for you to be here right now or watching online and knew we were praying for your soul that you would be saved, that you would submit your life to Jesus. You would say, Jesus, I believe you're the Lord. I I surrender my life to you. I believe you have a better plan for my life than I do. And I want to live this life to the full. And I want to live in heaven with you. I don't want to die, be dead on the inside. No matter how much money or this or that or partying I do, I know I'm dead on the inside. And I don't want to die forever in a place called hell because you came to rescue me. I want to be with you. But I surrender my life to you, every part of it. Teach me how to live and serve you. If you want to pray that right now and you've never prayed it, let's pray it now. Or maybe you you need to come home. Maybe you've, you've run away. Maybe you've, whatever the, the issue was, you've ran away from God and you're not serving Him like you know you should be. And you need to come home and get it right. This is your moment. This is your time. Come home. So whether your first time or your next time, You want to pray right now online? Send us a message. I'm praying for the first time or the next time. Right now, send us a message. In this room, on the count of three, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand boldly and say, It's me. I want to get right with God. And then right where you're seated, we're going to pray. Here we go. Online, send it. Here in this room, one, two, three. Put your hand up boldly and say, I'm going to get right with God before I leave here. I want to go to heaven. I want to be right with God in this life. Thank you. All over the place. God bless you all. Let's pray now with those in the room and those online. Let's all pray together. Say this. Say, God. I believe you are God and God alone, that you love us, so you sent Jesus to save our lives, to die for our sins, and you raised him from the dead, and he's alive right now. I believe that, and because I do, I ask that you forgive me of all my sins, and I receive your full forgiveness. And I say to you, Jesus, my life is not my own any longer. It's yours. You are the Lord, Jesus Christ, of my life. Teach me how to live in this life and serve you. Live this life to the fullest until I see you in heaven. Thank you for saving my life. In Jesus' name, so be it. Amen. Come on, let's, let's end how we started, celebrating the goodness of God. Thanks for listening today. If you'd like to find out more about Church on the Move, like our service times, or how you can connect with us, you can visit cotmroswell.com.